I want to consider this morning why we are so excited about the coming Christ. Why is it that we celebrate Advent at all? And one of the themes I want us to think about this morning is that Jesus Christ's coming fulfills ancient expectations. And so as we look at this text of Scripture, I want us to appreciate this because it helps us understand the Bible as a whole and especially helps us understand what it means when it says, in the fullness of time, God sent his Son. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, I'm going to just highlight some verses here and we will scan through the section of text because my tongue becomes tied on some of these names. And so lest I trip through 17 verses, I'm going to start out with verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus, hereafter, Matthew begins to expound upon each one of those significant figures. In the first section, you begin there with Abraham. Of course, we see names we know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. And then we begin down through the text through the early period of the history of the genealogy that will lead us eventually to Jesus Christ. Most significantly, you'll find there at the end of verse 5 and going into verse 6, some names with which we are very familiar. You see the name Ruth there. You also see Jesse, who's the father of David the king. Matthew has very intentionally taken us from Abraham to David, the initial promise to the coming of the king. The second section does much the same as it traces from David to the time of the exile. And as we trace through David and then Solomon, then what you see there are names that are very familiar to us from the writings of Kings and Chronicles. Unfortunately, there are actually two reformers in that list. Many of these kings did not follow the heart of the Lord. And yet the genealogy continues to run. And of course, the emphasis there in verse 11, one of those reformers is Josiah. But his reformation is just before God sends his people into exile into Babylon because the very next generation is Jeconiah. And you see, at the time of the deportation to Babylon at the end of verse 11, Abraham to David, David to exile, the next section may be even more vague to us in terms of the names because now you're looking at the era when they're in exile and then when they come back from exile under the Persian king, ironically giving them favor to return. We see one name there, Zerubbabel. Uh, if you like your child, don't give them that name. It's a good name though. Haggai calls him God's signet ring. He is the continuation of the promise to say this, I haven't forgotten the promises to David. 
And I'm continuing to bring blessing. If you will come back to the land and establish the worship of God in this era. You remember the names Ezra and Nehemiah? Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying through that period. However, what we find historically is that the return was actually pretty minimal. Many of the great hopes that were laid out in the prophets actually seem as if during this period that they're waning. And God's prophets are calling the people of God to respond. And yet we enter into the period here, what we call the intertestamental period, where it seems as if God has quit speaking. And yet the lineage continues until the final is Jesus Christ coming through Mary in verse 16. Notice verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Matthew is intent on setting his gospel in the context of holy history. If you were going to ask yourself, how would you start a book if you wanted people to read it? You just probably wouldn't start it this way. But it means a lot to him, and it should mean a lot to us. Because God has been at this plan of redemption long before we stepped onto this planet. God has been working out his plans and purposes through the people of God from ages past, and here he begins with the promises to Abraham. So as we think about Abraham and the promise of the seed, it even kicks you back further in mind from the very beginning right after our fall into sin, when God promises a seed of the woman that will one day come. And the serpent will not have the final word because that seed, even though he receives a bruising on the heel, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Let's call the, the first gospel because in it we see a trajectory hereafter God has so promised. Thus, the working out of this genealogy shows the means by which God continues to unfold generation after generation what he has promised to do. The reason that this is so important, this season we celebrate is Advent, is because what we celebrate is that God who promised is sure to his word. What he has said he will do, he will fulfill. And what we see in this summary in Matthew's introduction is an overview. So we begin there with Abraham. And there, of course, Genesis chapter 12. And what we find is the initial call of Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And then chapter 15, God expands upon his promises to Abraham. Uh, the appearance of God and the expansion of what he is told is greatly expanded in Abraham's knowledge. Chapter 17 confirmed once again, sign, seal, 
covenant of the same covenant of promise. And then in chapter 22, when Abraham is tested, once he has passed the test of God, God in great delight says, now I know. And the great confidence is this, that Abraham's faith is in the living God. And then God reiterates again the same promises. I remember Edmund Clowney once said, God would be so much more easy to believe if he didn't make such audacious promises. But God is saying to Abraham, even back when he was childless, that he was going to provide a seed. And through that seed, there was going to be a blessing that would eventually go to all the nations of the earth. What would have seemed humanly impossible you remember Paul says that Abraham at that point had reached a point where his body was as good as dead. It's not overstatement. God let the physical possibility come to an end so that his power and promise might be highlighted. I said I would do it. It shall be done. Thus when the child is born, his name is laughter, Isaac. Uh, can you imagine all the time being called laughter? Why do you bear that name? Boy, you'll get a kick out of this story. What God has done. You see, as you trace this lineage through, what you're seeing is God has made promises. God is true to his word. And throughout this entire period, there's this great promise to Abraham and his seed. Even as I recalled this story, I can remember the children's song about Father Abraham having many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. You know, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Um, you know, genealogically, that's just not true of me. In fact, I look across this room and probably say it'd be the same of the vast majority of us here. So how can we sing that song? See, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that this seed promise has a more important central message than even Isaac. And that is this. Paul says in Galatians 3, 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, he does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Paul understood that there was something more important in that seed promised to the nations. God was certainly going to establish his genealogy. We're tracing it here in Matthew. But it had one seed goal that was essential to God's call for the nations of the world. And that's this. One day the Messiah is going to come. And he is the one through which we become. Well, Father Abraham now has many sons. And I am one of them through union with Jesus Christ. Who is the seed of Abraham. Sometimes people struggle when they read these things, like we do with some of the other apostolic quotations, either from the Old Testament or understandings. 
I think it's fascinating. I've actually read commentaries on this passage where they actually say, Paul really took this out of context. You know, one of the ironic things about this is we are being taught by an apostle how to read the Old Testament. And when we do that, what we should do is say this, Lord, I want to humble my mind so that I may be taught of those you designated to give the infallible word of God to so that I may think God's thoughts after him. I don't want to tell you what the Old Testament says. I want the apostles to tell me what the Old Testament says. Because in so reading them, I rightly understand the word of God. Without that insight, I may actually be missing the primary meaning of Scripture altogether. Paul says this seed promise that brings blessing to the nations is fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. His coming is so important it's because of this. Without it, you aren't united to him or his promises. You aren't united to the life that he brings. You aren't united to the forgiveness of sins. You're, you're not united to the promises of the new heavens and the new earth. You're without hope and without God and in the world. But the great hope is this, the God who promised back to Abraham has continued to fulfill his promises until that seed would come. This same Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as are the promises of God in him, that is in Jesus, they are yes. As many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Um, this certainly is a pet peeve of mine, so I'll preach on it a small amount of time, maybe. But I am greatly disturbed in the current evangelical church that we oftentimes diminish Jesus Christ in the way that we look at how Scripture is formed and fulfilled. Jesus is the answer key to the whole book. Without his coming, you wouldn't even understand the Old Testament. See, Jesus so fulfills it that what happens is every expectancy that we would have had, he's greater than. He's the superlative. When he comes, he brings fulfillment and his fulfillment sometimes so expe exceeds expectancies that when it comes, you say to yourself, wouldn't have seen that. Wouldn't have seen that, but it's marvelous. It's wonderful in our eyes. You see, if you hold to something woodenly literal and stick to that all the time, first of all, you'll never understand what the apostles do with the Old Testament. And they were taught by Christ. When we look at their teaching, we realize this. They see a full-orbed fulfillment in what Jesus has done. He brings every type, every shadow, every anticipation into a grander fulfillment. He's just not prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills tabernacle, every type, every sacrifice, every bit of cleanliness that was required. Jesus Christ is it all. He's the true vine because he represents the people of God. He's the second Adam. 
Every typological fulfillment you could find throughout the old, Jesus is the answer key. And when we get to the new, what we find is this. In him, yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. It's as if God's amen has come. And if you ignore the amen, you'll misinterpret the previous text that's to lead you to him. So often I find Christians who love Jesus Christ and yet read the Bible as if the Old Testament isn't going to have a Jesus answer at the end. Let let me assure you, God's purpose in the fullness of time was to send Jesus so the lights would come on. And we would say to ourselves, greater than I ever imagined. Fulfillment far superior. A sacrifice unlike any other. The writer of Hebrews surely got it. His argument throughout is he's greater. He's bigger. He's more astounding. Don't go back to former things because Jesus brings the best. You see, we don't just have biblical history come to Jesus and then he's in addendum that we get back on track with something else later on. No, he's the answer key. Uh, The joy of Advent season is this. We're not in the waiting period for his coming. He has come. What was promised through Abraham and his descendants has now come in Jesus Christ. And in that, I'm very glad. You see, we live in a culture that is very... Ah, historical. We're a very young nation. I could remember when Jesse Waters used to just be Bill O'Reilly's water boy. He would go on the street, you know, with a microphone and interview people. It was kind of uh, funny. He was more goofy back then, silly. Uh, But he'd interview people on the street and show them pictures of historical figures from our history. Our, I mean, we're like I said, we're not an old country. But amazingly, people didn't even know the most basic things about our own history. And often it was recent history, something that was just within a few years. They not only couldn't identify any of the figures, they didn't have a clue about any of it. And I was always astounded watching that, thinking, if we don't know that history, how will we ever get our bearings about this history? Because God has been working this out for ages to bring us to Christ. I've heard people say, I really don't like the Old Testament very much. We'd better like it a lot. Because without it, we'll never understand Jesus. Because Jesus in the new simply brings the old to its intended goal. God fulfills ancient promises. Look how he moves from Abraham to David. David. David, notice this the first time he inserts the word, the king, in verse 6. Here's a unique progress because from here on, Matthew talks about Jesus Christ. I actually talked to the prisoners last week and said, I hear the word Jesus Christ used around here often, but first of all, never in a reverential way around the compound. And secondly, if it is even used, it's as if Christ is his last name, like I'm Darren Edgington. 
The Christ is the Messiah of God. He's Jesus, the Messiah. We see Jesus Christ so often that we don't even pause to think about what it means to say Jesus is the Christ. Anticipated for years is the, the seed promise, and now it funnels into a king. David the king. Now, just back a little bit. Remember who anointed him. This unique prophet, priest, judge. He's almost prophet, priest, king. He just wasn't a king yet. Samuel, who heard the voice of the Lord. Trustworthy, faithful prophet to deliver the word of the Lord. And the people were crying out for a king like the other nations who would go out before them and lead them into battle. And so what God does first is actually spanks them through the first king he gives them. He gives them Saul. If you hear the description of Saul, Saul and Goliath sound very similar. He was a head and shoulders above everyone else. Big man, impressive. What was wrong with him? Well, first of all, he was from the wrong tribe. For the scepter shall not depart from Judah. But he looked the part. He just wasn't a man after God's own heart. And so what happens through Saul? At first, Saul is raised up and empowered and used. And then Saul's deep heart is shown in the way that he starts to actually attack who? David. When Samuel is sent to anoint David... From that point on, David is persecuted. And David spends many of his years running from Saul. Do you think when Jesus taught his own apostles about his own life, how that suffering must come before exaltation, he didn't use the life of David? The first Messiah of God, the anointed king of God, suffered many years before he was acknowledged to be king. Likewise, Jesus Christ, through his earthly ministry, was constantly opposed by the leadership of his people. David finally steps onto the scene as the anointed of God, right tribe, right lineage, set apart by Samuel as the king. And then God says to him that he will not only have a lineage of a kingdom, but David is attempting to make a house or a temple for God. And so as he brings this request to God, God says to him, uh, let me tell you who's going to build the house. I'm going to build the house. And the house I'm going to build is your lineage, and I'm going to establish a kingdom in that house that will last forever. Not like the kingdom that I gave to Saul, but this one will last forever. And David praises God. Who am I that such a blessing should come to me? Now the, the seed promise now has a new emphasis because now it has to do with a king and an eternal reign. Clear back from Genesis 3, the promises to Abraham with the seed. And now they've worked their way all through history until near 1000 BC for the first time, a king and the lineage of David, and the promise of an eternal reign. 
All of this happening throughout this weaving of history that if you were to trace it on a map, you'd say to yourself, you just can't get there from here. Oh, I ran into that the other day. We were traveling up to Columbus for a concert one evening. This way said, turn here to go there. Well, we turned and we turned and we turned and we turned and we turned. And I kept thinking, whoever made this program needs to go back to school. <laughs> and if you trace God's genealogy, you might think the same. Were it not for this, God knew exactly what he was doing. It may seem to us as if he trailed off here and there, but his hand was moving history. So that the fullness of time is sure to come. What did he do again? He's now made another audacious promise. I'm going to give a king through David's line which will reign forever. How about Ray start singing Handel's hallelujah here? And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. Mm. Can't you feel the rhythm starting? It's in the promise. It's quiet, but it's coming. By the time Jesus comes, the angels are about to burst because that one's been hanging in the air for a thousand years. It's no wonder men may have lost hope and thought that God had forgotten but God had promised. God had said. See, the devil was wrong to ever question, hath God said? Because if God has said, you can take that to the bank. Amen. See, what we're seeing here is these ancient promises are extremely important because what they do is they establish the veracity of God's holy word. When God makes promises, he comes through. In the darkness you may not see him. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. See, what did we just sing? His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Those are great lyrics, by the way. Couldn't have been a better setup. Wow. I thought we were preaching on Samuel by the bulletin. He just set me up wonderfully. You see, what this is about is this. The God who made these ancient promises is sure to bring the fulfillment. God hath said. See, this is the challenge of our hearts in believing the promises of God. When God makes promises, we are called to respond to them. We're called to believe him. Jesus Christ has come through this great list of promises because they're the promises of God. It's ironic that in this book that makes so much of David the king and Jesus being that king, that at the end of Matthew's gospel, the trial of Jesus is focused on this very thing. He stands before his own people 
Matthew 26 reads this way. Verse 63 and following. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you've now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Notice, what is Matthew doing after he shows these ancient promises leading to Jesus? He then ends his book with a trial where the issue is this. Are you the Christ? Are you the king? And his own people are not receiving him. They hand him over to Pilate. And what does Pilate question him about? Are you the king of the Jews? What does the sign that's placard above his head say? Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. Notice, this is where the big questioning comes. How could all these promises regarding David and eternal kingdom link up with this one who's now hanging on the cross? And here's the good news. That's the very means by which Christ subdues you to himself. That's wonderful words out of our own catechism. How is Christ shown to us to be king? The part I love it the best is that part. He subdues us to himself. He establishes and expands his kingdom by taking your cold, dead heart and regenerating you so that the God you formerly hated, now you love. The one in whom you did not believe, now you trust. The one who shed his precious blood, who beforehand you would not have seen as worthy of your time, now you say, my Lord and my God. He subdues us to himself. You see, it's a kingdom that he told Pilate, it's not of this world, lest it were, my servants would fight. It's a different kind of kingdom. But don't you think for a minute it's not expanding. And he's not extending his kingdom for every knee that bows and says, Jesus is Lord, enters into the kingdom of God. And their future identity is in him, for our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The promises of God run all the way through history until they come to Jesus the Christ. Ironically, as we see him stripped and put in a purple garment 
with a crown of thorns on his head and draped in his own blood. And Pilate lays him before the crowd and says, Behold the man. Little do we know until we come to him how much we needed a man. For there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God had to become man because he alone could pay the price to bring us to the king. To make our knees bow before him and say, precious blood saves me from every sin. Now as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. You may be here coming into this season, maybe wondering what that bold man is up there railing about so much in front of you. I just want you to know the good news. There's a lot of diversions this time of year. There are a lot of things that could keep you from thinking about the Christ of God. But God did a lot of historical working to get you here. So that you could look back and realize this. He sent his son just as he promised. And then you could trust in him for his future when he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. The same Jesus in the last prayer that he prays. Prays for us who will believe through the apostles' word. And he prays this, Father, I pray that they may be with me where I am. The king is one day bringing us home. The joy of this is, just as surely as God promised he'd come, you can bank on it, he's going to do it. History proves it. Matthew's genealogy is there to trace you right through the Old Testament so that you come to Christ. And then when you come to him, you find this. His promises are yes and amen about your future. Challenge, are you trusting him? Have you repented of your sins? Is your confidence for the future, your ability and your goodness? Because, buddy, you're in bad shape. If that's your hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, your best day, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Here's what I have to say for you today. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And in the fullness of time, he did everything necessary for us and our salvation. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 King of kings forever hallelujah lord of lord 
hallelujah, hallelujah, King of kings, forever and ever, Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. You see how from the promise back then when it was just whispering, boy, it's getting loud now. One day there's going to be a throng standing around a throne, and we're going to worship King Jesus because ancient promises are yes in him. God bless you. Amen.